Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Tuesday, November 17th here in New York City. Hope everyone is doing well, staying safe and healthy as uh, the election is now over, but the battle against coronavirus continues. Uh, coming up today on the podcast is a really fun discussion I had earlier today with my friend Coach Max Sass. Talk all things NBA, the trades that have happened so far, uh, the James Harden rumors for trades, and then we get all into the draft. It's a it's an interesting draft class. Not as much super top end superstar potential players, but a lot of potentially really really good role uh, starting caliber players that we b- both wouldn't be surprised if years down the line a lot of these guys are on contributing teams, making winning plays, and uh, potentially even contributing to teams who are winning championships, just not as superstars, and that's totally, totally fine, and we're going to get all into that. Uh, so without further ado, I'm going to hit the music, and when we come back, is my conversation from earlier today with Max Sass. Joining me now on the line once again is my friend, Coach Max Sass. Talk a little NBA draft. Another NBA rumors as the trade market opened yesterday. Woj and Shams have, I don't think they've slept at all, reporting all these deals. There's tons of trades, and obviously the draft tomorrow night. Recording this on Tuesday afternoon. So if anything crazy breaks today, whether it's a James Harden trade or anything of that nature, we apologize, but we're going to cover everything that's public as of 1.35 on Tuesday afternoon. Coach, how's it going? Going great, going great, and uh, I have to say I, it was pretty funny. Twitter was was pretty funny today when they were talking about what the conversations would be like in the timeout for yeah. for new Nets coach Steve Nash. Was <laughs> up there. Uh, it was like Kevin Durant being like, "I want the last shot," and Harden being like, "I want the last shot," and Kyrie was like, oh, "Sorry, guys, I already shot it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So getting right into it, in case anyone has not been following all the rumors. In the last month or so, the Rockets, obviously, were eliminated from the playoffs and from the bubble. They moved on from Mike D'Antoni as coach. He's now an assistant in Brooklyn under Steve Nash. Daryl Morey leaves Houston and becomes the new GM of the 76ers. And all of a sudden, we started hearing these creeping inklings of like, well, is James Harden available now with all this turmoil too? Now what it seems like is James Harden wants out and Woj reported last night that he turned down a two-year, hundred-plus-million-dollar extension that would have netted him $50 million per season. And all the rumors and all the reporting is that James Harden wants to go to the Brooklyn Nets and join Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and first-year head coach Steve Nash. Just what do you make of all these rumors and that it's Nets or nothing? Um. I mean, I think Harden still has, what, a couple of years on his contract. So yeah. I would love the new Houston regime to just sort of say, like, nope, too bad. Like, yeah. Too bad. Like, we were not giving up all this leverage. But um, the players have all the power in today's era, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, and, and I think that potentially – um, the way draft picks are being sent out, it's very possible that that 
the trade ends up happening. Um, I know there was some talk that Philly was also involved in a potential destination. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be shocked if the Rockets went back to Harden and said, look, the Nets don't have the draft assets that are going to get this done for us. We're willing to move you, but you got to open up your list a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's at least a a somewhat more reasonable compromise to me. Yeah, because the the really interesting part about this is when you think about all the teams that are potentially in the market for James Harden, a lot of teams take themselves out of consideration because they would have to give up so much to get Harden that they probably won't be uh, true championship or conference finals contenders if they were to make that trade. And the interesting part about Philly and the interesting part about the Nets is the the Philly connection, I think I'm surprised the rumors aren't stronger because Daryl Morey and James Harden have that connection of, you know, Morey went out, got him, and, and helped unleash the best of James Harden and turn him into this MVP, awesome, awesome player. Ben Simmons is a pretty incredible trade piece, uh, or even uh, Joel Embiid if they want to trade him. That, I think, could make, help keep the Rockets competitive, and the Sixers would be competitive as well. But like, if you think about the, the different teams that would potentially be in the market for him, you know, people talk about the Clippers, but okay, if you trade Paul George, he's a pending free agent, and the Clippers have like no draft picks left after their deal last summer with, with the Thunder. Uh, Miami's not going to trade everything that like Miami's not going to trade Bam Adebayo for James Harden or anything like that. Like, there's just not a lot of teams available, and the interesting part is that it's that it's Brooklyn because only two seasons ago or three seasons ago. Brooklyn was, was viewed as the worst situation in the NBA. And then a couple moves, a, a, an overachieved season with D'Angelo Russell under Kenny Atkinson. Yeah. They had the cap space. They get Kyrie and Durant. Now all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, is Brooklyn the best situation in the Eastern Conference? The one, the other team that's interesting to me that I'm curious about is, and this may be completely unrealistic, David, but. Do the Warriors have the assets to go get James Harden? I mean, they have this top pick in the draft. I mean, it feels like I—I I know he doesn't actually fit the style, but that would just be really interesting to me. That would be fascinating, and I think to match the salaries aspect of it, they would have to give up Wiggins if Houston wants him. Yeah, no great loss right there. Yeah, but also they probably have to give up one of their three established guys, because uh, I don't think a deal of Wiggins and Kevon Looney and like Eric Pascal, one of their young guys, and the number two pick and a couple first rounders to go, because if you're the Rockets, you're like, well, these first rounders we're getting from you guys, these are going to be picks 28 to 30, because you guys are going to be awesome with Harden, Curry, and Clay and Draymond. Right, right. Yeah, so maybe there's not enough there, because um, I'm not sure the Warriors would... Um, move one of those guys, but um, but that's really interesting, and I haven't heard of that. But that's something you, you just know. Bob Myers and Joe Lacob and them are kicking the tires and seeing if it's possible. Because in the NBA, what's been proven is you're never out of anything. You're never out of any free agent negotiation. You're never out of any situation because things can change so rapidly. The most interesting part about the Brooklyn thing is that if James Harden goes to Brooklyn, it's going to be unbelievable on paper and i know so many people have made this before and you joked about this at the beginning but there's only one basketball harden 
I'm sure he can go back to playing off the ball the way he did in Oklahoma City or the way he did for Team USA in 2012 in the Olympics, but he's like the most ball-dominant player in the NBA right now, all isolation-heavy stuff. I don't know how much that's going to fly with Irving, who's another ISO-heavy player, and Kevin Durant, who, even though he's coming off this major, major injury, which is a huge question mark, he's used to being the best or the second-best player in the entire world. Like, I don't know how all those styles will mesh, especially with a first-year head coach. Yeah, it's an interesting question, but don't forget, we also had this debate when Westbrook got traded to the Rockets. And yep. it was, oh my God, there's only one ball, and it turns out, you know, if you tinker with it a little bit, two elite-level players figure out how to remain elite-level players. And, um, I mean, Kyrie's best years were with LeBron, who... You know, not a point guard, but an incredibly ball-dominant guy who who essentially is a point guard. You know, KD played with, um, you know, Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Klay Thompson, and and obviously that was maybe the greatest team of all time. But I, I think those guys can figure it out. I think Harden has done it with enough guys. I think they all shoot it really well, so you don't have that question that they had with Westbrook. Yeah. Um, yeah, that doesn't really worry me. Um, Interesting. Uh, I mean, obviously the Kyrie thing with, with the Celtics not working out great is a concern, but, you know, part of me thinks that we're just at an era in this league where more talent equals better results. And um, if you can get, you know, maybe the greatest offensive player of all time, that's what Daryl Morey says. He, he's very, very confident in that statement. Um about James Harden, it feels silly not to do so, especially if, you know, don't get me wrong, I like Karis LeVert. But yeah, like if that's not the what same. you're worried about giving up, um, you know, he needs the ball to score too, not as much as Harden. But um, that's sort of just my, my, I think it's a worthwhile risk. I still think that the trade, though, is unrealistic. Now, things have proven in the NBA, things can happen very, very quickly. But I would put the the percentages of Harden getting traded before the season starts because people forget like the Rockets once they changed their style and went all in on small ball were really good they beat the Thunder in the first round of the playoffs who were very who were a solid good team and they were up one nothing and could have blew a lead in game two to go up two nothing on the Lakers in round two where their second best player Russell Westbrook was recovering from the coronavirus and dealing with a quad injury and, and coming back from that that team worked and was actually pretty good. And yes, you could talk about in a seven-game series, teams can figure figure you out. But in the crazy regular season of just matching against that style, they can be very effective again. And maybe when cooler heads prevail, they'll work it out and they'll make the playoffs again because that'll still be a really good team. So I would say that the percentage is like 30%, I would say, that he gets traded. That's fair. I think the other side of it is also that Mike D'Antoni was just such a perfect coach for them. And I think Steven Silas, who they brought in Mm -hmm. um, at the end of October to be the new coach, I think he's a really good coach as well. But I just think the the D'Antoni-Mori-Hardin sort of like idea was just so unique and fit perfectly that that's going to be a bigger adjustment. Interesting. Yeah, 100%. There'll be a lot of changes in Houston. We know that for certain. Speaking of a former Houston Rocket who had a falling out with James Harden, that whole situation, Chris Paul got traded to Oklahoma City last summer for a decent haul, Westbrook and and many picks. 
Chris Paul was traded to the Phoenix Suns yesterday for Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, Ty Jerome, Jalen LeCue, and a 2022 first-round draft pick. Uh, you loved the Phoenix Suns this past summer when when we did our bubble preview and yeah. talked about the the games of the bubble. You talked a lot about the Phoenix Suns, so so I'll let you talk about this one and what Chris Paul could bring to this uh, now interesting. I, we're unclear how good, but interesting Phoenix Suns team. Yeah, I, I think Chris Paul. You know, it, it's so interesting to me because he's gone back and forth between being like a hindrance versus an asset in terms of yeah. what you have based on his salary. And it it is ridiculous. I mean, he's got what, like $82 million left over the next two years or something on his contract. I mean, it's, it, it's it is a ridiculous amount of money for someone his age. But then he goes to Oklahoma City and he takes a team that, you know, like built around Chris Paul with Danilo Gallinari and, you know, they were playing three point guard lineups with Paul, Shea Gilgis Alexander, and, and Dennis Schroeder. And that team was the five seed in the absolutely loaded Western Conference. Yeah. So now all of a sudden, Chris Paul goes from, well, he's not, you know, he's this cap albatross to, oh my God, this is the Chris Paul that we all knew and loved from however many years ago. And I think it's like a weird win win. Um, mm hmm. I think that for Phoenix, they they are probably sort of at the point where they felt like they had they got the best out of Devin Booker putting a real point guard next to him, and they felt like they upgraded from you know Ricky Rubio, who is I think a fine NBA starting point guard, to Chris Paul, who's a uh, still probably considered an elite starting point guard in this league. Yeah. And, were willing to, you know, uh, give up a couple of their young guys. I mean, Jalen LeCue and Ty Jerome are, are obviously intriguing um, young guys who just didn't have much there. Kelly Oubre, I like. He's a good 3 and D wing in this league, but the way Mikal Bridges broke up in the bubble, it, mm -hmm. he almost feels uh, in excess in a way. And they had enough protections on this pick that, you know, if they stink again, they're not losing a top 12 pick in right. 2022. I think the protections go, you know, top 12, top 10, top 8 through like 2024. So that's a good um, point. I, I do think that they gave themselves enough of a sort of backup here that if everything just goes disastrously after Chris Paul potentially leaves or, 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 or falls off a cliff at his age. But, um, you know, they feel like they're at the point with Booker and and. DeAndre Ayton and now Mikael Bridges that they're ready to contend and it sort of feels like if you don't go all in in the Western Conference um, you're not getting anywhere I mean the, the conference is ridiculous so yeah that's at it. yeah go ahead I, I, I was like that's the most interesting part about it is because I want to talk about Oklahoma City side of this in, in a second but the Phoenix side of it is they were awesome in the bubble people are forgetting that it was eight games and you know, the normal regular season, I guess this year will be 72, but they played great in the bubble and that's our last member of them. So we're like, they're exciting. They're young. Booker's could be great. Eaton played well, but you know, that team had, had definitive holes. And what Chris Paul brings in is he brings in a veteran who's going to, as what he did for the Oklahoma city team, just bring a level of professionalism to that team. And 
But all the people who are saying this is a definite top five Western Conference playoff team, I think just needs to be reminded of who's in the West. Uh, the Lakers are still going to be really good. The Clippers are going to be really good. Uh, Denver, who made the Western Conference Finals. People are forgetting that the Warriors should be really good again. Portland can't be any more injured than they were. Uh, haven't even mentioned you know Utah or if Dallas with Luka Doncic or Houston if they don't trade James Harden. Like the Phoenix made this move, and I think I agree with you that what they did with that pick was very very uh, helpful and smart on their part. But this could be a huge move, and it could be a lot of fun. But it just shows how deep the Western Conference is that they add Chris Paul to Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton because Booker is a, an All Star caliber player. Ayton is a rising uh star and getting better and better that we're like well maybe they can be the the seven seed or the eight seed right because the west is just so loaded right i actually don't think this trade guarantees them a playoff spot i yeah, do think they, it's crazy i do think i do think it will make them a top eight team in the league but like the way the playoffs are going to be format formatted they're very likely more so in this uh play-in like, tournament seven, thing and play-in range yeah right? so um, but I think it's worth taking a shot. The other thing about it, and I know we're going to talk a lot of draft, but they do have the number 10 overall pick. They yep. did not give up Cam Johnson. So, you know, hypothetically, let's say they add, you know, one of the Florida State guys, Patrick Williams or Devin Vassell, you know, someone in that range. And, and, and again, like Cam Johnson continues to improve and Mikel Bridges stays where he is. Like, this seems actually pretty good and pretty exciting. I, I, I yeah. think... Like Bill Simmons used to talk about his league pass rankings, and and very very much for me, this Phoenix team uh, was already a team I had on my list for league pass teams. But now I think they're even uh, going to move up a little bit. One hundred percent. And flipping over to Oklahoma State for one second, they get this twenty twenty two first round pick, which will be all over the place. We don't know when it will convert because of all the protections, but it's just another asset for them that they could put in a trade for someone else, and. What they got in Kelly Oubre is a very good, serviceable NBA player who plays at a premium position where at the trade deadline this year, I could see plenty of teams saying we're one wing away from really making a run and a push. We'll give up a lightly protected first round pick in this year's draft or next year's draft to go get Kelly Oubre. So I think right. so I think that turns into another first round pick. Jalen Lucky's nickname is Baby Westbrook. I don't know if that's just from like one of his high school highlight tapes, but he fits Oklahoma City's of extreme vertical athleticism and in terms of vertical leaping ability, but not as much perimeter skill. But if he turns into something, you know, that'd be great. Ty Jerome, great player at, at Virginia. Didn't get to watch too much of him at of Phoenix this year, but you know, he was behind some other good guards. He'll have a chance this year because Oklahoma City also traded Dennis Schroeder to the Lakers, which we'll talk about in, in a second, but he could play. And I think Ricky Rubio has trade value as well. So so this tr- deal could net them a first-round pick eventually from Phoenix and maybe one or two other picks. So I think this was a good deal by Oklahoma City, and they're definitely rebuilding as, let's just keep talking about them. They trade Dennis Schroeder to the Lakers for Danny Green and their tw- and the 2020 first-round pick of the Lakers, which is 28 in this year's draft. Uh, Oklahoma City will probably waive Green or also trade him probably the way that the Grizzlies traded Iguodala uh, this past season. Lakers get an absolute steal on this one. They get a real point guard to play with LeBron and Davis. Uh, 
just a great deal by by the Lakers. They weren't probably getting anyone at 28 who could help them a lot this upcoming season, and they get a dude who probably could have, should have won sixth man of the year. Yeah, Schroeder had a really good year. Um, the the Lakers sort of pieced together that point guard position. I think Rondo ended up playing a lot of minutes there, which yeah. um, was, I guess, unexpected but impressive. Um, you know, I, I think, again, I think this is also a little bit of just a situation where the Thunder are just sort of waiting out the Western Conference in a way by, you know, hey, like, LeBron's got to eventually <laughs> fall off, right? Like, um, and the late, it feels like the Thunder just keep pushing back their 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 peak and their yep. window. In a way. Um, like you said, I think they'll end up flipping Kelly Oubre. Um, they'll get something for him. But again, like, he'll, he'll be fine. He'll be yeah. good. He'll get them out of the, you know, the, the tankathon or whatever you want to call it. Um, they have all these draft assets. I think actually Danny Green, I, I wouldn't be shocked if someone gives something up for him. I mean, the yeah. guy's now titles with three different teams. I think he's one of only like three or four guys in the history of the NBA to do that. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it's a smart move to just keep pushing things back before you need to, you know, give Schroeder a contract extension or whatever it is. And, um, yeah, it's it's a weird sort of like I bet Darry Daryl Morey's just sort of sitting there in Philly, like you know, rubbing his hands together, like jealous of of what Sam Presti is doing. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. And speaking of another team who's stockpiling draft picks, the New Orleans Pelicans. I mean, maybe broke the internet because not a lot was going on on the internet at midnight <laughs> last night. But they traded Drew Holiday, their starting point guard, who's probably all-star caliber, but the West is so loaded at the guard position, it's like you can only have three or four guys. They trade Drew Holiday to the Bucks for Eric Bledsoe, George Hill, three first-rounders, and two pick swaps. Now, those first-rounders are this year's 2021st from Indiana, which is in the mid-20s. I think it's uh, – I, I think it's – I can't remember, but, but it's in like the low 20s unprotected first in 2025 and 2027 and the right to swap picks in 2024 and 2026 that's all according to espn's woge the bucks get a guy in holiday who helps them win now awesome defensive player basically every nba player who goes on jj reddick's new really good podcast old man in the three when jj asks who's the best guy at guarding them pretty much everyone says drew holiday and he can score. He's not just a defender. He's a very good, very good two-way player. Helps Giannis and Chris Middleton right now to win. They give up Bledsoe and his tough contract. George Hill, who I personally like but have issues with, and a lot of draft picks. But if they're really good and Giannis resigns, those are all at the end of the first round. So this is a plus, really good – yeah, go. Plus, don't forget that I think we have to talk in unison with this idea that they also brought in – Bogdanovich from yes. the King yes. last night as well. About 20 minutes later, Shams announces that Bogdan Bogdanovich from the Kings, who, for anyone out there who doesn't watch a lot of Kings basketball, understandably, he is a high-volume three-point shooter who can really, really shoot it. He was like 37 or 38% on eight or nine threes a game last year, up to 40 or 41% on catch-and-shoot threes exactly what the Bucks needed. A guy who can make shots on the wing outside of Chris Middleton. And they give up Ursan Ilyasova, who barely played for them, 
and their two young guys, Dante DiVincenzo and DJ Wilson. So they bring in two wings who can help them immediately compete for the Eastern Conference title for a lot of draft capital and, and, and some older guys. I really like these moves for the Bucks. This is a, it's a huge risk since we don't know if Jan's going to resign or not, but I personally don't believe you don't give up five potential first-round picks if you don't really, really believe Jan's is coming back. Yeah, I think, I mean, when you look at what's probably going to be a starting five of Drew Holiday, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Chris Middleton, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez, I mean, that's maybe the best starting five in the league. Yeah. Um, it's certainly there with the Clippers and the Lakers, um, and, and it's hard to argue that they're um, not the favorite in the East again. I think this is sort of a reaction to the Heat breaking out in the bubble and, and, yeah. and making the finals and, and feeling this. But I think it's also a professional move. It's a show of faith in Giannis and um, also probably the understanding that, you know, getting a, another stu- superstar in here, excuse me, is very, very unlikely to happen. Um, you know, if they don't think Dante DiVincenzo is a future all-star, um, it's a worthwhile move. The crazy thing to me is that Sam Presti – and David Griffin, with with the trades they've now made, have it feels like you can't acquire anybody nowadays, even a fringe all star, without giving up you know multiple first rounders and multiple pick swaps. I mean, it's just crazy how the the you know first rounders used to be the most valuable thing, and now it feels like people are trading them like you know potato chips. Like, hey, Dave, yeah. I'll trade you know this bag of Lay's. You yeah, know, like it's... people are. It's crazy how the value of a first rounder has, in some ways, tilted away from what it used to be. Yeah, it was really interesting. It was like when the Nets did the trade and it went poorly, everyone kind of freaked out and became very, very protective of their first round picks. And then I think Daryl Morey said it publicly like he thought that it was like a bubble, that first round picks were way too valuable, especially if, if you're picking late. Like he thought he said that they're very, very overvalued. Then maybe all these GMs are like, wait, Daryl's really smart. He says they're overvalued. Yeah, we can trade them. Like our percentage, if, if, if we're going to go get a star player and we think we're going to be really good, this first round pick at pick 26 or 27 is potentially actually isn't all that potentially valuable to to us to, to hold on to. And it's worth dealing. Uh, but it's just it's amazing because when you just look at the number of picks the Thunder have and the number of picks that the Pelicans have, it's. We're going to be talking a lot about them in the coming years because they have all these picks as what the uh, Sixers proved is you're not going to hit on all of them. You're going to have a couple misses. And what do you do about all these picks? Do you package them for a disgruntled superstar? Like if I'm New Orleans, I'm like looking at Minnesota saying, hey, is Carl Anthony Towns unhappy in a year and a half? Does he want to come play with Zion and Brandon Ingram or Bradley Beal? Like, there's a lot of flexibility these guys to do. So I think we all need just I think we all just need to be ready to be talking a lot about the Thunder and a lot about the Pelicans in basically every trade rumor discussion that comes up the next five years because they have the picks to make any deal work. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So moving on to the draft itself, obviously the year 2020 has been a crazy, crazy year. Almost everything's been postponed, canceled, rescheduled, uh, including the 
NBA draft. It was supposed to be in June, the way it always is. Just kept getting pushed back, pushed back. Didn't have a locked-in date until I don't know when. But it is happening tomorrow night. It will be obviously virtual. But tomorrow night, 8 p.m., the NBA draft will, will actually happen. And we'll get to see where a lot of these prospects go. Just from, from your opinion as a fan and I would say a casual evaluator of, of these guys, how has this extended period uh, helped you? And I guess the teams, is has it been a good or, or, or bad thing? Um, I, I, it's hard to say good or bad. I mean, it's, yeah. it's sort of neutral in a way, right? Yeah. I think that for some it's been really good in that it gives them more time to go back and watch video. And maybe you're talking about you know, finding something, some skill set in a guy with the pick in the 50s that you might not have had time for otherwise. But then you talk about the other ones where it's like you're, you're, you know, just being act, it's activity, not productivity. And you're like finding reasons not to like a guy and you're passing on a guy because you over, over uh, analyzed. Yeah, that's what, that's what it seems like to me. It's completely somewhere in the middle because I think just having all this extra film and with all the restrictions on the workouts and the visits and just how many guys you can bring in and not being able to do group workouts and just all the stuff, no, no combine like the Portsmouth invitational, just all these things, not, not happening. I think it's going to lead to a lot of teams being very split and polarized on a lot of players. There'll be not that that doesn't happen normally, but I think that there'll be some guys who they'll, they'll be like everyone loves and everyone or everyone doesn't like, and it's going to be hard for some teams to be like, we're kind of neutral on, on him because the guys at the top are perhaps the most polarizing group at the top in, in recent memory, probably since the 2013 draft when it was Anthony Bennett and Victor Oladipo, because in my mind, I have the, the tier one mainly just off the mock draft and where everyone has projected is LaMelo Ball, James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards and Denny Avdia, three of those four guys, uh, basically, or sorry, two played overseas. Wiseman barely played at all. He played three games due to NCAA infractions, and Edwards played at Georgia, where he was about 500 and not on national TV a lot because. And also, people want to talk about okay, we didn't get to see the the NCAA tournament. Edwards's team wasn't going to make the tournament, you know, so. Those, those top four guys haven't been in the public eye a lot except on these mock draft charts. It, it's funny. I, I've been spending a lot of time looking at Sam Vesney's excellent, excellent draft preview, uh, draft guide for, for The Athletic. And, I mean, it's insane how much depth he, he has in this. But one of the things that he points out is that he does it in tiers, and he doesn't have anyone in his first tier this year. Um, it's sort of a, a, a weird draft where, um, you know, he talks about, you know, tier one, very real super side, very real superstar upside, literally no one in there. Yeah. And then the top guys in the draft are tier two, realizable all-star upside. And I think that's just so interesting to me that there's no one that's there, but yet it also feels like there's so much more value this year in the teens and twenties than there have been in previous years. And I think that that's all about how we, 
as fans and teams or just people around basketball, how we view the draft and expect results from a certain pick. So we say, hey, if you're picked in the top five, you're going to be a consistent all-star, potential superstar player. And as you're saying, as, as what Sam Vesney, who at The Athletic is just an awesome reporter, awesome writer, there's just none of those guys. So at four, you're not going to get a potential superstar. What you're going to get is a really, really solid role player. But that's just not what you're expecting there or the average casual fans there. So it's considered like, oh, a down pick to be picking at four. No, you're going to have a chance to pick a guy like Denny Avia, who will probably end up being a, just a fine, solid NBA player, but maybe may, but 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 might not ever make an All Star team, but still be a f- solid role player who can help you. And I think that's the thing that is being reported out now is that this isn't a bad draft. It's just not a draft featuring super top end talent. And, yeah, it's not a top heavy draft. And, and yeah. And it's interesting because because you're like a lot. There's a lot of talent the ten to fifteen marker where there's guys like Sadiq Bay or Killian Hayes or or, or guys on Yeka Ogangu who has a chance to help a lot of teams. Like it'll be interesting to see which teams. And I'm fascinated by the Warriors at two because they're in a different spot. But but what teams say, hey, we're just going to take a guy who could help us and not get caught up in all the potential and all this stuff, but just, but just basically be like, we think this guy is going to help us this year. He's going to be a good player. We're not worried that he's not going to turn into an all-star. I guess I'm just saying it, it feels more like a crapshoot yeah. than usual. I know just by definition it's a crapshoot, but just stay with Memphis for a second. Like James Wiseman and Precious Achua were teammates at Memphis, right, for however many games. James Wiseman is likely going to go some 15 to 20 picks ahead of Precious Achua. Yeah. Would you be docked if... Precious has the better NBA career? No. Uh, no, I I wouldn't because it's the the gap between two and eight in this year's draft and then eight and sixteen isn't that isn't that deep. And I think from a fan's perspective, there could be a lot of trades, a lot of moving up, a lot of moving back, uh, which will be fun for the fan viewership of it. Because I think guys have and, and teams have a lot of different viewpoints on these guys. Because you mentioned James Wiseman, who is a seven foot one, two hundred fifty pound athletic marvel who can jump, he can run, he's got some perimeter skills. It's it seems like even if he's like most high schoolers at that size and loves to chuck him up when he's sixteen because that's what he sees all his idols in the NBA doing. He has a chance if he's on the Warriors, he has a chance to be really really good of catching lobs and offensive rebounding and because he's humongous, like he could be. If he's on the Warriors, he could be a key player come the playoffs time, or he could be on the Charlotte Hornets, and we may not really see him or care about him for a couple of years just because that team is such in the depths of rebuilding. Like it'll be really interesting to see what all these guys, at, where these guys end up, and and what these teams just decide to do. But the most polarizing guy in this draft is Lamelo Ball, and I just have to ask, what do you think of him? I really like Lamelo Ball. I think I do too. Lamelo Ball. Is, is really good. Um, I think he's probably the first overall pick. I think it's hard to find an argument. Um, obviously, the biggest argument, um, I'm, I'm contradicting myself, but the biggest question mark, let's say, is is how he shoots the three ball, right? Like, I think that's, that's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I have not watched a ton of the Illawarra Hawks, <laughs> very admittedly. Um, so I, I can't, you know, um, say from that. But he only played 12 games last year. He averaged 17 points per game, 7.5 rebounds per game, and almost 7 assists per game. I mean, his feel is ridiculous. Like, yeah. he's got better feel of him, uh, better feel than his older brother, who, um, I mean, clearly Leangelo, but I'm talking about Lonzo. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's certainly a question mark about the family and the dad being, a, 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 you know, a, a little off his rocker and, and, and that sort of stuff. But I mean, he's just so incredibly, incredibly productive at six foot six, um, I think he's got a chance to be a, a, a decent defender um, like his brother. I mean, he's an unbelievable rebounder for his for his position. Um, I, I do think, um, you know, they talk in the NBA a lot about how the three-point shooting percentage at, at earlier levels are less indicative than the free-throw numbers. Yeah. And I, I think that's part of it. Everything I've read about Lonzo Ball is that if – you know, the people who believe he can shoot it um, think that his numbers are terrible because of his shot selection. Right. Um, so even though he shot, it says 25% from three uh, Rough. in Australia this year, um, the question mark is if he takes better shots, is he actually, you know, a 35% three point shooter? Mm-hmm. Um, can one of these whatever you call it, you know, shooting maestro coaches, wizards, um, kind of break them down and build them up again. I think he's a guy who, if he can fix the shot and he becomes a 35% three-point shooter, I think he's a multiple-time all-star. If not, um, I think he's a guy who ends up kind of just on the fringes, maybe a slightly worse Ben Simmons. What's interesting about him and you – you say a lot of very accurate things about just the huge gap in between, because I think he has a chance to be pretty good as well between him being good and him working out and him not working out is he has a lot of things that, that you can't teach. He has for a point guard, he's six foot seven, maybe six foot eight. So he's humongous, the feel for the game, the vision, the passing, but then you feel like you could coach him to not take crazy, crazy step back threes and because he's so talented and has, as you said, such a great feel for the game that he'll be able to figure out, like, don't take floaters from the free throw line, but try a little bit closer. And and all the crazy things, because when you watch him on film and you watch, like, the highlights, he has such sometimes outstandingly amazing plays, but also sometimes just awful plays in the same sequence that I'm sure he would drive coaches crazy and evaluators crazy because you don't know what you're going to do with them. But his pure size and his just talent and skill level, I think, is unteachable. I am worried more so about the defensive side of things than than you just mentioned, mainly just because his clips from Australia, and I don't know if it's because that team stunk and they weren't very good, that he just didn't care, which is, you know, there's a lot of guys in college who aren't very good on defense who turn into very good NBA defenders, just look at his older brother, Lonzo. Uh, but it'll definitely be interesting to see if he goes to Minnesota, how that works around Carl Towns and D'Angelo Russell, who are not known as good NBA defenders. Like That could potentially be the worst defensive team in the NBA <laughs> next year. 
but also one of the most fun and exciting, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of the question is, right, like the Wolves gave up a lot to to make sure they brought in D'Angelo Russell to keep Carl Towns happy. Yeah. Uh, also, obviously, because I think D'Angelo Russell is a very good player, which he which he is. But I think they need to determine whether they think he's a one or a two, because I think that yeah. is what's going to sort of determine whether they take LaMelo or, say, Anthony Edwards. Yeah. And Anthony, and yeah. And I'm not necessarily saying that just to segue into the Anthony Edwards discussion, but like, even if the Wolves are confident that LaMelo Ball is the best player in this draft, you just invested all this in D'Angelo Russell. And if exactly. you think it's going to set the apple cart to tell him that he's now strictly a two, um, maybe it's just not the best team-building strategy. Yeah, I mean, LaMelo seems a lot like D'Angelo Russell, which is a big guard, highly, highly skilled, highly talented, not a great defender, and like most 18 or 19-year-olds, not super mature, let's just say. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, that's one of the things like, okay, you know, you find an 18 or 19-year-old who, who is mature enough to be the best player on, on an NBA team. That's like, that, there's a reason why LeBron is LeBron, right? Like, uh but speaking of Anthony Edwards, who I think if the Wolves don't take LaMelo, will take Anthony Edwards as another guy whose size is unteachable, 6'5-ish. I want to say he's 6'5", maybe he's 6'6", like 225, but a very built 225, played football growing up, who also really struggled with shot selection. But my question is, and I don't know how much of Georgia you watch, which would be understandable if it was very little, is they were not a very talented offensive team, coached by Tom Crean, who... I think it's just average. Uh, was he taking such horrendous shots? Because so much of their offense was just get him the ball in isolation at top of the key or on the wing. Was he seemingly taking such bad shots because Tom Cream was like, look, you need to take these shots because this is our only chance to win? Or was it just because he was just taking bad shots because he was on a weak team and he wanted to get his? Like, I don't know. That's what makes him such a difficult evaluation because – There'd be some games you watch him and the ball goes in. You're like, this dude is unreal. And then there's some games where you watch him and he's just not making shots. You're like, maybe try passing. Yeah, it, it, it the little bit of Georgia that I watched this year, it felt like he is like freakishly talented. I mean, he's so physically gifted, but it just felt like he could improve in the way he reads the game. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he moves really well and explodes really well for a guy his size. Um but, I mean, he shot under 30% from three. And, again, we talked about it with Lamella, so it's unfair to say, you know, it's a it's not a shot selection issue for Anthony Edwards. But it almost felt – and, again, I didn't watch every Georgia game, so yeah. Bulldog fans don't, don't attack me. But it, it just felt like he not got lazy. I mean, it felt like he was very, very lazy defensively. But it felt like he sort of just fell into a lull at points in games where yeah. – he, he was like, ah, I'm not going to attack the rim here. Like, it'll be easier just to huck up this shot. And I don't know how many minutes he played. Maybe it's it's that they needed to do a better job of limiting his 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 minutes so he was fresher. But it just felt like there were too many stretches where he wasn't particularly um, giving 100% maximum effort. And that's why I think I do not envy these scouts. Like, the yeah. Southeast scout for, you know, the Minnesota Timberwolves who has to be the guy who's willing to fight or not fight for Anthony Edwards. Like, how do you project whether he's going to play really, really hard if you make him the number one pick? Uh, So that's just a really, really 
hard question that I don't have a great answer to. But and also um, he's he's super young. He reclassified up a year from the two thousand and uh, I think twenty high school class to the two thousand nineteen high school class. So I think he was seventeen when he started uh, at Georgia and was a true eighteen year old during the season. So he was super super young. Yeah, and he's in right now. He just turned nineteen. Okay. Um, in August, it says. Okay, so he's. So- you are correct. So he's one of the youngest players in, in the draft. As we saw with Kevin Knox and my, you know, New York Knicks, taking the youngest player in the draft can be a good and it also could be a bad thing. And I don't know. I I would give him a shot. It feels like he's going to end up in Charlotte at number three to pair with uh, Terry Rozier and whoever else is, is on that team, whether it's Frank Mason or... Uh, Sorry, Devontae Graham, wrong Kansas guard. But, you know, I think he'll go there. He'll he'll put up numbers and, and he'll learn the game and be allowed to develop it and grow. I think it might be better for him being so young to not be the number one pick. I feel like LaMelo, just because he's grown up in a fishbowl, can deal with the, the media pressure of being the number one pick, given that he's been on a reality TV show since he was like 15 years old. Uh, but I think... Edwards is to me the the guy I'm still the most confused about of all the yeah, guys. I, he's the the biggest, probably the biggest boomer bust guy in this draft, even more so than Lamelo, because in a lot of ways, like his skill set is so ridiculous that he could end up being a ten time All Star, but he also yeah. could end up just coasting and being a good numbers bad team guy for and never making an All Star game. One hundred percent and. Usually in most drafts, they say that the boomer bust guys are the international players. And that brings us to Denny Avdia, who I really like. He's like a 6'9", 6'10", 3", stretch 4 man from Israel. Will probably be the highest drafted Israeli-born player. Plays for Maccabee Tel Aviv uh, in, in Israel. Was the youngest player to play on their senior team. He played for them in the domestic Israeli league, in the uh, Euro league. Played in the FIBA championships with for Israel and Israel won. I think it was under 19 and under 20 when he was playing for them. That's a really big deal in the European world for basketball championships for those who uh, aren't as clued in on that as, let's say, Mike Schmitz, whose whole job it is to, to do that as I'm reading his thing. Uh, I really like this guy from, from his clips. He has a lot of potential, a lot of skill. He seems like, you know, you hate to say it, but the the classic European guy coming over. And he's more athletic than people think in terms of his vertical leaping ability. He's a very good playmaker with passing the ball. He's a developing shooter. The concern for him is that his three-point shooting numbers were, were weak and his free throw numbers were, were weak. It was about 50 or 60%. A lot of yeah. people who've, who have been to see him say that, he changes his shooting mechanics a lot, but he may be looking to figure out what works for him. I believe his father played for Yugoslavia, was a professional basketball player, so basketball's in his blood. I really like him. I have him pegged at going, if he doesn't go to the Warriors at two, I have him going to the Bulls at four. I really like Denny. I like him a lot, too. I have him a little lower on my, you know, quote-unquote draft board than uh-huh. you do. Um, I, I'm just not... I, I think he's really good. Um, Sam Vicente points out this this really interesting thing, which is that basically 
Um, he played for Maccabi Tel Aviv, and in the league, he averaged like 13 and six and a half in 27 minutes and was actually the, the MVP. But then when they played EuroLeague competition, he went, he, his coach was only playing 14 minutes a night. And I mean, the EuroLeague is the second best basketball league in the entire world. So it's not some like slouch league that, that, you know, it's impressive. He's playing it all as an 18 year old, but um, I think we just have to take his numbers in Israel as a grain of salt compared yep. to his, his numbers against better teams. Now, having said that, like when you go back to guys like Pau Gasol, who averaged what, like three points a game the year before he came to the NBA. Or Porzingis, who was playing in the second division right. in Spain. Yeah, so that doesn't necessarily mean he can't do it. I think it indicates that he can do it, but it's just going to take him a little bit longer than maybe we hope. I think he's got to get... I think right now, I just don't think he's athletic enough to be a three. Um, yeah. I think he's, you know, I think he's got to be a four right now. Um, more so defensively. Um, offensively, I actually think he's super, super impressive and is actually more of a three on that end. Um, but I, I just can't imagine him staying in front of wings um, mm-hmm. in, in, in the NBA. And that scares me. So. Um, between the, the shooting question marks and, and what sort of a positional question mark, um, I think he, he's more in that like six, seven, eight range. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I would love if he falls to eight to the Knicks. I think he has a chance to be really good. Uh, but you know, he'll, he'll be another good guy who will be a solid NBA player. If he went to a good team, like let's say somehow he fell to Utah or Denver, he could probably play. 10 to 12 minutes a night and be fine, you know, but expecting Absolutely. him, to, but expecting him to come and play 36 minutes a night and score 20, like people, he's not Luka Doncic. He's right. didn't dominate your league like Doncic, you know, he, as you said, didn't play that much in your league because, because the Maccabi team was on highly, highly values the Euro league necessarily over the Israeli league. Cause they're like, we're going to win the Israeli league anyway. Uh, so, He's a really interesting guy. Hope he falls to the Knicks, but I have at four to the Bulls. You have him a little lower. To the next tier of players, Tyrese, I have Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State and Obi Toppin from Dayton. Two guys, again, this this issue, or quote-unquote issue with this draft is two more top prospects who didn't go to blue blood schools. How many casual basketball fans with no March Madness watched Dayton this year? How many watched Iowa State, right? They see these guys at the top of these draft boards like, who is Obi Toppin? Well, he's a highly athletic guy who is the best player in college basketball. Didn't really play that much defense, but highly, highly skilled. And Tyrese Halliburton is this guy all NBA people love, but I think comes with some question marks as with the rest of these guys. What do you think of these two guys? Uh, Tyrese Halliburton is actually my favorite player in the entire draft. Exactly. Uh, all these people love Tyrese Halliburton. It's 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 crazy. Um, I think that there's obviously question marks, his shots a little bit funky, but yet, you know, as a freshman and a sophomore, he shot, you know, 43 as a freshman, 42 as a, as a, as a sophomore from three, um, his free throw numbers were over 82% this yeah. year as a sophomore. He just, he, I, and I, I, I really, I tried to go out of my way to watch as much Iowa State as possible because I really enjoyed watching him. It just felt like he just never makes mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's not, you know, 
he really proved he can shoot it off the catch. We're not sure if he can shoot it off the dribble, but it just feels like he literally does not make mistakes, right? Like six and a half assists per game uh, last year at Iowa State, and I'm not sure that is giving him enough credit for how good of a passer and how high his IQ is. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess the other question is his athleticism. Like, is he quick enough and explosive enough um, for, for the NBA level? But, I mean, he's just so big. I think he's a good defender. Um, he's like 6'5 with a 6'7 wingspan. Very good size. Very good size. To me, um, I, I just – I think he's so – he's to me, is probably the most sure thing in the draft because – when he has the ball, he's going to make everyone better. He can play off the ball and be a good enough shooter off the ball and be a secondary playmaker if you have a guy like that, you know, that you need to pair him with. But I just – he will affect winning more than any other player in this draft in my opinion. Are you concerned at all about his lack of free throw attempts in college and just his – I'll just say his slight frame right now. I think that they listed him at 175 at Iowa State. No. I, I mean, sure, I could be, okay. but um, I'm, I'm really not overthinking it. I, I just think he's – I'm not saying he should be the number one overall pick in the right. draft. I think he has the highest upside, but I just think he's the most sure thing who will affect winning um, the, the most. He, I, I love this kid, and this is the guy I want the Knicks to end up with. Interesting. I don't think they will. I think yeah. he'll be good before then, but like he's the guy. He's the guy the Knicks never end up with. He's like the anti <laughs> <laughs> It's It's interesting because for all the reasons you mentioned, that's why people love him. And then there's always the – he has a slow release, which the NBA, the windows get shorter and – to, to shoot it's one of the things that makes the best shooters, Duncan Robinson, J.J. Redick, Clay Thompson, is their lightning quick releases to get these long shots off. And I think it's going to be rough his first two years as he puts on weight and develops strength because he's only like 19 or 20 years old. He's not a finished product. He's not a finished product physically yet. Will be he'll be attacked in pick and roll. Guys will try to post him up. It'll be a long season. It'll be a long slog. But if he can just keep grinding, keep getting better, I'm with you. He has a chance to be very, very good and contribute to winning in a lot of ways. But again, this goes for so many of these teams, like for their fan bases. Like if he goes to the Chicago Bulls or Atlanta, you know, he's not going to be the guy who's going to put your team over the top as like he's going to be our next all star, superstar, face of the franchise player. As you said, he has a chance to be really, really good, kind of like a George Hill type guy who just like weirdly is always on super good teams and helps winning, but is not a guy who's going to put you over the top to win a championship. And I think that's a good way to to think about him. Right now, he could become awesome. I think Tyrese Halliburton will end up being the second, maybe the third best player on on what could be a championship team. I don't think George Hill was ever at that quite that peak. Um, third best player. I'm not sure okay. he'd be your best player, but anyway, I'm mincing, you know, whatever. Obi Toppin is an insane athlete, a bit of a tweener. He's like, he, he, he is a small ball four in, in the NBA, which 
because Dayton was so good. That's what he got to play last year, basically. He can kind of shoot it, super athletic, and score in a lot of ways. Good, strong frame. I mean, theoretically could be good on defense. He just didn't prove it at all last year. Uh, But for the guy who's the best player in college basketball, by a mile, like I think he won all the awards pretty handily. Why aren't more people talking about Obi Toppin to be a top two or three pick? Um, well, I think there's a couple reasons. One is that he's 22 or 23 years old as opposed to some of these other guys we're talking mm-hmm. about who are 18, 19. Um, and I think people care about that um, in, just in terms of you know long term. And, and the bigger reason is that I, I, I think he's a bad defender. He just doesn't yeah, – I actually – you mentioned – small ball four i actually think his best position is as a, it offensively is as a small ball five in the nba okay interesting um, i like it i think he can play the four i think he can play the five i think he's mismatched either position but i'm not sure he can guard either of those positions like, right i don't think he's a rim protector um and i'm not sure he's quick enough to guard some fours on the perimeter so i i think it's sort of um, I do think there's some GMs that are sort of saying like, is he that big of a negative defensively that he's really just like a, a, a bench explosive scorer. And if that's the case, then you're not going to use, take a top two or three pick on him. Um, obviously if you think he's a guy who can translate and score 20 points per game, like he did in college and, you know, figure out the defense, whatever it is. Um, then yeah, he's he's worth it. But it seems to be that people think he's such a liability on the defensive end. Sounds like a perfect Nick already. <laughs> Moving on to as I put everyone else. Now this just means as we reach the end towards the end of the podcast here, we can't do a breakdown on all of these guys. But I have a list of about six guys who who I like who will probably be picked in the top ten or or at least in in the lottery. Who are some of these other guys that? Uh, people are talking about kind of in, in the later end and a lot of who who you really like yeah uh a Kongwu from from usc is i like him uh, too really really impressive again young guy um he he could be an all defensive center um you know he's very limited offensively but he's gotta figure that out um he's never gonna probably never gonna be a three-point shooter um um, the two Florida State guys are interesting. Patrick Williams, um, I think he's a really intriguing player. And then Devin Vassell is maybe, um, you know, the quickest plug and play guy in terms of just like a three and D wing who, who can really, you know, make, make an immediate impact. And the last one I'll give a shout to is, uh, Killian Hayes. He's a really yes. interesting guy. Um, you know, he. I, I think everything I've read is that there are some people who actually have him higher than uh, Denny Avija. Yeah. Um, in terms of you know just uh, international guys. So yeah, Kevin O'Connor uh, has Killian Hayes like number one or number two on his big board. Does he? Wow. And, and Kevin's good. Kevin's yeah. really good. So um, you know, Ke- Killian Hayes is a really interesting, um, really interesting guy. So I, I think. Um, you know, they're also very positionally different, so yeah. that's not fair. Um, but, but you know, he's 6'5 with, with good length, and he's he's 
He's a very good shooter. Um, and, and so, I, you know, those are the guys that I think really intrigued me in that range. I wouldn't be surprised if Ogangwu, there's some rumors that he's flying up draft boards. I wouldn't be surprised if the Warriors say, hey, we're going for a big guy. We like him better than, than Wiseman. We're just more comfortable with just having more tape and everything. Though Wiseman's taller, Ogangwu has a similar wingspan and leaping ability. He could end up at two to the Warriors and fill in that backup role that Kevon Looney played to JaVale McGee and, and kind of just be one of these guys who Steph Curry and Draymond could just throw lobs to for super annoying lobs. And you look as like, wait, how does this dude have 14 points in the Western Conference Finals in 10 minutes? Uh, one of the guys who I want to shout out is Sadiq Bey, who I mentioned a little bit earlier. I think he can compete with Devin Vassell as the best plug-and-play guy immediately. Villanova wing, 3 and D, awesome shooter. Villanova winning program. I think he kind of he's not as good of a defender as McCall Bridges was uh, in college because McCall Bridges is like the best defender in the whole country. Yeah, he's not the same level athlete. Yeah, that, that's all true. But he can he can he's a better shooter than than Bridges was. So I think him going to like the Atlanta Hawks could be really really interesting as they're stacking up these three and D players to surround Trey Young with Isaac Okoro from yeah. from Auburn. He's like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, but built like a truck. Just humongous, super strong dude, very athletic. He helped them win a lot of games at Auburn when he wasn't playing. Auburn wasn't very successful, but when he was in, he was very, very good. I can see him going up as high as four to Chicago as them saying, hey, we're a Chicago defense. We need someone who's going to play defense. Coral will play defense to go with Zach Levine and Laurie Markinen and Wendell Carter. I think that could be interesting. I think he has a chance to be pretty solid. And I'll also shout out Killian Hayes, another French point guard, played in Germany, super young, left-handed, which I think is super interesting uh, just because there's just not a lot of lefties in the NBA at the point guard position. And you can see what a guy like Goran Dragic, these like super right. crafty, unique lefties can do. Not saying he's Dragic. You know, Dragic is a special player. But a lot of teams are going to have – Good choices there, and I wouldn't even be surprised if the Warriors trade back to like nine or ten to try to snag one of these guys instead of quote unquote overdrafting and having to pay one of these guys more money. Because if they can save a little money on salary for these guys, that's another superstar they can go after. That's interesting. Um, one other guy that I think is really interesting because we didn't see a full year of him, uh, is, is Aaron Nesmith at uh. Mm -hmm. Vanderbilt good shooter I mean, before he got hurt he was shooting like 53% from three really good so shooter. I'm very curious to see if if the NBA like believes that I don't get me wrong I, I don't think he's going to shoot 53% from three as an NBA player but um, I'm curious as to how teams like how how uh, fluky teams think that is or how legit teams think that is because if there's someone who like he could be this year's Cam Johnson Right, in that someone values him more than the other, every other team in the league, and and says, "Hey, we're going to jump into the top ten for him." Right, and I'm not sure many teams have him there. And the crazy part is, again, of all these guys we mentioned, you know, Sadiq Bay went to Villanova. That's probably the best program of all the guys. But like Devin Vassell and Patrick Williams, Florida State, very good program, but not nationally renowned the way that Duke and Kentucky is. Auburn, USC for Ogangwu. 
it was just it would this would have been a great year for the NSA tournament for fans to get familiar with, with some of these guys because yeah. one, one of my sleepers, I don't even know if it counts as a sleeper, he'll be picked fourteenth or fifteenth, is Tyrese Maxey from Kentucky. Six three, six four, very good player. A lot of Calipari guards do well once they get to the NBA. I think he has a chance to just to be a solid off the bench guy his first few years and maybe even uh, a decent starter in, in the league. He's a he's a decent shooter, good body, long arms, good size. I think Maxi has a chance and, and also give you another SEC guard, Kira Lewis uh, Jr. Who, yeah, he's terrific. Who people really like, but for whatever reason just seemingly isn't cracking the top 10 in a lot of these boards, probably just because there's so many point guards in the NBA right now and really good ones. And everyone wants six, eight guys who can shoot. But those are two, two guards who I think we could be looking at in a year or two. Be like, how is this dude starting a playoff game for like a six that. seed? Yeah, I can see that. What? So let me ask you, Dave. As we're sort of, you know, I, I'm I'm sure you were getting to this. Who are the guys in the you know the second round or the late, um, you know, late end of the draft that you could see being? Um, guys that we're talking about is as as crazy steals well the the one guy who jumps out immediately is cole anthony just because everyone seems so crazily uh mixed on him some people have like this dude is a top 10 talent other people say he's a second round pick i think he could be picked at like 27 28 and everyone be like how did cole anthony last this long because he's super talented and everything or he could be picked six and we're like how is like what no way he should be picked six like i think he has the the chance to be solid in in the nba but given his draft position no one knows where he's going to go one guy i i like a lot is malachi flynn from san diego state okay he won san diego state was really good last year won won games even though you know uh he's a little small he's only about six one six two uh, under 200 pounds. I just think he'll be a guy who contributed to winning in college. He can come in and, and he can handle the ball for you for 10 minutes a game in for a solid team. Like I could see him going to Utah or Denver or Portland and being, you know, totally, totally fine, usable, solid player. So I like him and everyone is raving about uh, Desmond Bain from TCU and Terrell yeah. Terry from Stanford. Yeah. Terry's a really interesting one. Young guy. Yeah. Um, really shoot it. Good year. The, here's a, I'll, I'll drop a couple names who are really interesting to me. Um, two Duke guys, Vernon Carey and mm-hmm. um, Cassius Stanley, are both really interesting to me. Um, I, most people have them mocked in the mid early to mid second round. Yeah. Um, I mean, Cassius Stanley might be the most athletic guy in the draft. He's just a freak. He's um, like, uh, he's a little smaller than Derek Jones Jr. from UNLV, who's now in Miami, but he's a similar wiry athlete to Derek Jones. That's a good comparison. So, um, I think someone's going to take a chance on him and, and Vernon Carey, you know, it's, it's just so rare that the number two or number three player in the country um, becomes like, you know, the number 50 guy on a draft board. So especially someone who is as productive at a blue blood school like Duke. 
Right. So I, I think he, he, he could be a good um, backup five man. Um, I like Vernon Carey. And then the, the, the other two guys, and I think so much of it is because I spend so much time watching them, but the two incredibly productive but lower-valued Big East scoring guards. Um, I know everyone groups them together, so I'll do it. But um, I love me some Miles Powell. Yep. Uh, he was unbelievable at Seton Hall. Um, he's not a, a point guard, which hurts him um, yeah. for his eyes. But – oh my gosh, can he score it and can he really shoot it? And I think that gives him a chance. And then Marcus Howard is 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 a really interesting one, right? Like yeah. he's a little bit more of a point guard, um, but also probably a little bit more of a two. He's actually even smaller than Powell, but um, he was probably the best true scorer in the country last year. Um, I think both guys are right on the fringe of getting drafted. They're both probably guys that are going to be looking for G League or two-way deals. And- um do you think either of those guys are NBA players, Dave? I think Powell is. Okay. I, I don't know how horizontally, like how quick he is on, on defensive slides or how high he can jump, but his skill set reminds me a lot of Jordan Clarkson. Uh, just a high-volume guy who can really, really score. And I think that if you pick him in, in the second round, Miles Powell can come in and score a lot of points for you. I think Marcus Howard closest comp and it really stinks for him he didn't have the NSA tournament would have been a Carson Edwards to go in have a couple huge scoring games in the tournament maybe put up 35 40 in one game everyone fall in love with you and sneak into the 29th or 30th pick uh but I think he'll go to summer league in in terms of I I think Powell's more of a sure bet to make an NBA roster this year but I wouldn't be surprised if uh Marcus Howard is in the G League getting a call up next year or or in two years and be like wait this dude from marquette who scored like a thousand points all the time uh i think they i I think they both have have a shot because teams always need point guards and guys who can score he yeah i mean those two guys can really score even when they're being completely game planned against it's just it's hard for me to believe that they can't you know the way those guys shoot it and score the ball um, you know, they won't get a chance to be a bench scoring option and shooting option for some of these, for some of these teams. So, and, uh, and also just with how packed in college basketball defenses are and everything that's, they still put up those crazy numbers with the spread out NBA game and so much more space and, and freedom. They, I would give them a, a, a shot. There's, there's, yeah, of there's course no the harm. counter argument being that it just exposes them more on the other end. Right, which is right. What makes them a liability. But I hope those two guys make it. I mean, they were so much fun to watch over the past couple of years. And the last guy I'll give you before, before we wrap up is one of my favorite players in college basketball, Killian Tilly from Gonzaga. Battled, oh, great, a, battled, great a, battled a ton of injuries. Uh, and not just to one, it wasn't like some guy who keeps pulling his hamstring like a running back in, in football, but tons of different body parts, uh, but extremely talented. He can shoot the three. He's like 6'10", 6'11", can shoot the three. He can move. He can catch lobs. Good passer, good dribbler. He can do all the – he can basically do everything on offense. In defense, he's big. He was able to protect the rim at Gonzaga pretty well, and Gonzaga plays a legit non-conference schedule. You know, if he's going to get switched onto James Harden and – Steph Curry and Damian Lillard, you know, he'll get torched the way that everyone else in the world right, that's does. That's not working for anyone. So. Right. But <laughs> not just him. But 
I think he could be really, really productive if he stays healthy. He feels like a San Antonio spur to me. That He's going to go there, be super productive, be like, how did Killian Tilly, who played in front of all of us at Gonzaga in big, big games for four years, fall to the Spurs? Uh, but I, I personally just really like him because I have a soft spot for Gonzaga. Fair enough. I think he's going to be a good pro and someone's going to get good value there. 100%. Well, Coach, always great having you on the Double Double. Looking forward to talking to you more every week until the new year. Uh, until then, uh, let's uh, let's hope that – I don't even know are, – are you a technical Knicks fan? Let's just hope that our team does something, you know, okay tomorrow night that doesn't drive us crazy. Uh, <laughs> Because cause then we might officially leave them forever. What what's let, let's just end with this. What's absolute worst case scenario for you? <sighs> Probably trading up to one to draft like James Wiseman. That's so funny. That was my answer too. Not that James <laughs> Wiseman isn't good and or has a chance to be really good. I think James Wiseman has a chance to be very good. But it's just like Everyone says that the best players are from 8 to 15, which is where you are. And we have so few young players to, that would have to go to trade up with. Like, There would just be nothing more New York Knicks than giving up Mitchell Robinson and multiple first-round picks <laughs> to move up to take James Wiseman. That, that, that is legitimately my answer. So I love that you said the same thing. <laughs> All right, Coach. Enjoy the draft tomorrow night, and I will talk to you soon. Sounds good, David. That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. You can also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back next week. Till then, take care and make it a great day. <laughs>